Hi, and welcome to Recky Perfection. I'm your host, Rochelle Inay, singer-songwriter and recovering perfectionist. I started this podcast on a mission to figure out how we can raise brave kids, but quickly learned that one of the most important ways we can do this is by being brave ourselves. So on this show, you'll hear stories from courageous humans who figured out how to embrace failure and imperfection and live in alignment with their true selves. To me, if every person were to fully embrace their innately imperfect humanness, we would see a world that's less power-hungry and more kind, we would find more solutions to some of the world's biggest challenges, and we would live happier and more fulfilled lives, knowing that we are enough exactly as we are, not because of anything external like beauty or success. If you struggle with being hard on yourself when you mess up, which we all do by the way, comparing yourself with others, getting stuck in the creative process because of a tough inner critic, or you're simply tired of trying to stay on the hamster wheel that is this beauty and success culture, I'm here to help you stop, get off, breathe, and realize that you are enough right here, right now. From this place of enoughness, we can bring kindness and compassion to ourselves and to the young people in our lives, helping them to realize their own enoughness. I believe that when kids and grown-ups learn that mistakes are okay, they're able to embrace failure and live more courageously. In today's episode, I have the honor of interviewing Dr. Stephanie Allen. Stephanie is a violinist with a passion for teaching violin and viola in the Twin Cities and around the world. She teaches half of her studio through long-distance learning with students as far away as Africa. Her goal is to equip students with the tools to fully enjoy music and successfully navigate life. Stephanie and her two daughters enjoy living in northeast Minneapolis. They love exploring nature, drinking tea on cold nights, and spending time with their beloved cat, Bootsy. In this episode, Stephanie shares so many incredible insights on teaching and parenting through collaboration, not to mention she just exudes grace and kindness. I know you're going to love what she has to say, so without further ado, here's Dr. Stephanie Allen. So Stephanie, thank you so much for hopping on a call with me today. Thank you for the invite. (laughs) So can you tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, I would love to. Um, I'm f- primarily a mom. I have uh, two little girls. They're eight and seven, and that's my favorite job. <laughs> and um, and then I am also a creative artist who loves teaching. I play violin, and um, I coach violin technique to students and teachers here in Minneapolis where I live, but then I also have half of my studio that lives around the country and around the world. So I get to work with people in all different time zones at all different levels of learning, all different places in their journey, and they're all they're all able to connect, um, connect with me either through coming to my home or calling me on their phone. So Wow. Um, That's primarily what I do. That's amazing. Do you have like a favorite um, type of student to teach like or age, I should say? Mm. Age? No, I love, I truly love working with anybody who is, is at the place in their life where they're, they are curious and they are eager (laughs) and um, are really, uh, excited to learn. So those are, those are the clients I work with. And I work with them as young as just turning four. And I also work with um, adult teachers 
So the age range doesn't dictate who I work with. It's more their energy. If they are eager to learn, I am eager <laughs> to work with them. So, Yeah, that's so important to be in the place of of wanting to learn. And I think there's a lot of kids who are kind of, especially with violin for some reason, but like I have music students who their parents just kind of force them into it. And I don't know, do you have any, that do you have that happen? And do you have to talk to parents and kind of say like the student isn't ready? Or do you teach kids who aren't, like they don't want to be there? <laughs> That's a good question. That is something I have grown in. Um, so before, yes, before I would teach um, pretty much anyone. And whether they were experimenting with music or they were viewing it as a hobby or um, or they were serious students. I had a range of, of students and motivations. And what I've done in the last couple years is I've actually, when I interview the parent, I'm actually directing questions to the student as well. What do you love about violin? Why do you want to take it? I, I actually primarily focus on the student and we create what I call a vision board where they get to dream about their goals and what they want and what they want to create. And the parent gets to listen and observe. So I'm not asking the parent what they want for their child. I'm asking the child what they want for themselves. And that has shifted who comes in to my studio and who I work with. So the parent gets to hear from the child and they get to see what the child wants to create. And then I provide the, the map, the roadmap, and take on the form of a guide. <laughs> and I look at the parent as a guide as well. Let's guide these children to where they want to go with music. Now, with that comes expectations. Like I, I present a very realistic roadmap. Like here's what you'll need. Here's what uh, this looks like in order to create what you want. Here's what we need to do. And then I ask the child, is this something you want to do? And if they say yes, then we proceed. If they say no, then I say, okay, that's okay. <laughs> this isn't either the right season or the right time or maybe not even the right instrument or fit. So it's very much a collaboration. Wow, that is so powerful. I've, I don't think I've ever met a teacher who's done exactly that. Like it's so child-centered and student-centered. Mm. Um, and that's, that's just really amazing. Because um, I, I imagine that helps students to really invest in their own learning and take ownership of it. Absolutely. They are co-creators. Mm. And it gives, it gives them license <laughs> to express themselves. And yes, like you said, it gives them ownership. It really helps them. I don't, I don't tell them what to do. I invite them. And... Mm. Um, that's made all the difference in my studio. It's really, really changed how I teach. It prevents burnout on my end. <laughs> it, it produces 
children who are motivated and curious and excited about music and um, and parents who are supportive and kind and loving. And I, I love that. So that is so powerful. You said, I don't tell them what to learn. I invite them. Yes. I love that. I want to use that. <laughs> do you do you take that same approach with your kids? Yes. Yes, that is something I'm also learning is is how to bring this into that more intimate context of um, the home where you have a longer relationship, obviously, with your own children and um, their trajectory is lifelong. And so um, that that is something that I'm learning how to do is to invite them into agreements, um, whether that be how we go about our daily lives or <laughs> when we leave for school or what they wear um, or how they're feeling or how they're expressing themselves, what activities they want to do, whether they want to study music or not, um, framing things in collaboration uh, takes longer. I will tell you that it takes longer, (laughs) (laughs) takes more time. It also does not always yield what I want. (laughs) So, um, but it ultimately, I think helps my girls in the long run. Mm. And, and it really upholds my chief values, which are peace and, uh, gentleness and kindness and, you know, I, the absence of chaos, the absence of control. So those are the, the values that we want to operate from and to invite them in um, has really helped foster that, that energy at home. It's interesting because I've seen parents who they don't take as much control and they, they let their kids kind of do or have what they want but then that kid becomes out of control sometimes Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering how that's different Mm -hmm. than than collaborating with them yes that's that's a good question I think um collaborating with them towards peace towards uh an environment that is not chaotic, is not filled with reactions, um, is, is, is the expectation. So like I do with my students, um, I ask them what they want and what they need. Um, and then we create a way forward, but clear expectations are laid out. And then the agreement, the invitation is to enter those expectations. So if I'm talking to my girls, you know, we expect to be on school at at school on time. And then I hear from them, they want a slower morning or they want, you know, more time to eat or, or whatever it is that might slow us down. And so we, we come to an agreement of, okay, perhaps then can we wake up a little earlier or can we do this or, you know, what, 
what can we do in order to get to school on time, but then also in order for you to be able to have more time to eat or, you know, that's just like a simple example. And we talk about it and then we agree, yes, let's do this. And then they enter into that agreement and we try it out. (laughs) Sometimes it's good and sometimes we have to adapt. We have to change it or we have to revisit it. Um, But it's always, the, the goal is to have it always be a conversation. May that conversation lead to collaboration. And then usually with collaboration, we're able to find a solution <laughs> and a way forward. So, um, yeah, it takes a long time. It does. It, and it does, it takes a long time with students too. Um, I usually mm. have a full lesson to dream with them and hear from them and then map out a plan. And then we meet every three months to discuss, hey, how are we doing? Where are we in our goals uh, does this still feel good for you? Does this still make sense? And we do what's needed for their optimal learning. <laughs> mm, yeah, because it's not like <laughs> when you're six, you have this this dream and this plan, and then it always stays the same, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, and it's checking in with that. And even as you get older, like even as an adult, I th- and I think that's what makes it harder is we think like, okay, I made this plan. Like, this is what I wanted, but we have to be willing to check in and reevaluate mm-hmm. and remap, like redirect the roadmap maybe. Yes. I love that. Um, so I'm wondering what it was like for you growing up. Did you have perfectionistic or achievement oriented parents? I would say I had achievement-oriented, for sure. Both of my parents are musicians and teachers. So they understood the process of learning. They also understood child development in a unique way. And I think I, I benefited from that. So they provided the structure without the pressure. And that really fostered a love for music, an absolute love. And um, there was never a pressure to perform or win, but there was always an expectation to achieve high. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, I I find that was a huge gift. And so I I don't think um, perfectionism was ever stressed but high achieving, yes. And the motivation behind the high achieving was we learn um, and and we learn better so we can serve better. So it was always uh, a high achieving, not for one's own advancement, but so that we could help others better because they were both teachers. That was their heartbeat. And so I think that's been a, wonderful help for me yeah well and I think it's interesting because achieving can have a lot of different connotations and when I think of achievement oriented like I often paint it in a negative light however the whole goal of being able to embrace imperfection and failure is so that you can do more in your life what you want to do which sometimes does involve achieving things but I think it's it's a way of 
it's a different way of achievement that involves not what looks successful to the outside world, but what aligns with your inner values and your true self. Mm-hmm. So when you're living more in alignment with yourself and you're listening to yourself, maybe your inner self is saying like, hey, I want to achieve all of these things and you go after it and you do it. And that's amazing. But it's it's more like when you have to be controlled like the achievement oriented parent that I'm envisioning is more aligned with what other people will think of you or making you successful in the world's eyes. You know, yes. <laughs> I guess that's kind of how I see it. So it's not that achieving is ever a bad thing. It doesn't have to be, but it's, I guess, when you're so attached to uh, the world's idea of success, like getting an A in every single subject and then you know getting a really successful job that's going to make a lot of money and yeah Mm. yes yes stressing the the development of the whole child and yes really going back to what is success what does that look like um I never felt like I was being used as a child to propel a dream of my parents it was very much We want to give you this gift of music because you can, you can one, make a living from it, but then two, find so much joy and give back to so many people with it. So it, that, that is definitely, and they knew what it took in order to really master an instrument, to really be able to express yourself fully and help others maximally. So, Mm. um, so that was that was really their heartbeat that got passed on to me and and my siblings. So how many siblings do you have? I have three other siblings and okay. two of them are uh professional musicians as well. So three out of four of us. Wow. So. They really did nurture a love of music. Yes. That's so amazing. Did you start on violin or did you start on a different instrument? I'm curious what made you fall in love with violin. I think I started on piano first. I can't totally remember. <laughs> I was very young. I don't remember ever not being without my violin. But I did learn violin and piano together all the way through high school. Um, I think I chose violin um, because some older kids in my church were playing violin. And I thought it was really fun <laughs> and looked fun. Both my parents are brass players. So Uh, and I was the first to choose a string and they said you can choose whatever you want at any instrument but you you can never quit (laughs) so if you choose violin you will find you'll find a way never like never quit never it was literally literally never an option and I knew that at four or when however old I was I can never quit this I'm gonna but it also took that discussion off the table and really helped me figure out how to work through hard things and find ways to persevere and be creative and, you know, work your way out. Cause I knew quitting wasn't an option. Now, did I want to quit? Oh my, many times. Yes. <laughs> so, but to, um, you know, to be able to feel for myself, what growth feels like you know there's that that pressure and that discomfort right 
before expansion. <laughs> and I think so many, so many uh, children miss out on that feeling because uh, they're allowed to escape that, <laughs> that, uh, that situation right before the expansion. It's misread, it's misunderstood. And so, um, you know, so that's, that's something that I'm really grateful that they said it was never oppressive. It was always challenging, but not oppressive. And so I think that's a gift they gave me. Mm, that's, oh, I love that. And it reminds me of a thing that you talk about, um, a good hard thing versus a bad hard thing. Can you talk about that? Abs oh, I would love to. Yes. <laughs> Feelings are such a gift that we have, but they're also often underdeveloped in their ability to diagnose them, right? So we can feel a lot of things, but we don't know why we feel them or even what we're feeling. So when it comes to challenges, um, they can often feel the same at the beginning. We don't know where often, we don't know where a challenge will lead us. And so we feel this discomfort um, we feel uh, a loss of control. Perhaps we're feeling um, fear of disappointing someone or something. And so uh, that comfort, that, that feeling is not one that we want to stay in very long. Yet to expand and to grow, we often need to sit with that feeling for a while. So when I'm working with students, I want them to first of all, be able to identify that feeling. So um, I use something called a feeling wheel. And um, half of the feeling wheel is what we would call perhaps negative emotions, <laughs> not because they're bad, but they don't generate happy feelings for us. Um, and then the other half is the happy feelings. And so we try to identify perhaps they're feeling frustrated or insecure or discouraged and and then um, and then we try to identify uh, where where we're going with this you know with this hard thing perhaps it's a new technique and um, it's uncomfortable and it's new and it just looks daunting and so we, we develop a plan okay Let's see if we can get from here to here within a week. Does that feel okay for you? Do you think that's possible? And they'll say yes, or they'll say no. If they say no, I amend it. <laughs> and I present another plan. And until they're comfortable with the plan, and then um, I have them chart their feelings throughout the week. How did you feel before practicing? And of course, they have their little plan. So they're sticking to their plan. And at the end of the week, we check in again. And almost always those little students come back with the technique mastered and they feel wonderful. Oh, <laughs> they're, that's amazing. They're saying, I, feel, I feel energetic. I feel optimistic. And these are all words that are on the feeling wheel. You know, children can't always come up with these words. <laughs> also, adults can't either. So <laughs> learning a, a vocabulary. And then we'll chart, okay, how did you get from feeling frustrated to feeling optimistic? You came all the way around the wheel. And, and we'll analyze what did we do? Um, things like, 
I didn't give up and I slowed down <laughs> or I broke it. I broke, yeah, I, I tried something smaller <laughs> and, you know, things like that so that they're, they're using the tools, the strategies that I've taught them to get from a feeling of hopelessness or frustration into a feeling of feeling value and feeling appreciated and confident and successful. And so those that is the path of a good hard thing. And I, I highlight this was a hard thing that led to something wonderful, right? It led to you feeling good about yourself and creating something beautiful. A bad hard thing is if we are learning a new technique and it's feeling discouraging and it's feeling hard and our path is still not leading us <laughs> to the positive emotions. Either they're feeling pain or they're still feeling discouraged. What we do then is I look and I, I look at the process. Perhaps they're learning something that's too hard for them. Maybe they don't have all the tools to get from A to B. And so we back up, we amend, but I do not push forward. And so um, those are the differences between the good hard things and the bad hard things. I don't want them to persevere in oppression, that whether it's musically or personally or whatever, I want them to distinguish you do not ever need to persevere in something that is oppressive. But yes, persevere in something that's challenging. So helping them understand the difference because often they can feel the same at the beginning but they are fundamentally different. And if I can help them learn how to do that in music, give them the vocabulary, give them the categories, the containers, and then give them the practice to tap into their own intuition, help them understand um, the difference uh, in violin. I'm hopeful that they'll be able to take those tools out into the what we call the real world and be able to to use those tools outside of violin well and that's the biggest goal right is because you never know when a student is going to continue and most of them probably won't make it their career but mm -hmm. they're taking those tools that they learn and they're able to apply them to the rest of their lives yes uh, that's invaluable i think Absolutely. Good hard thing versus a bad hard thing. That is genius. Did you come up with that or is that from a book or something? <laughs> that I I use every single day personally. So I I am sure it's from a collective wisdom in my life. But <laughs> it's it is not something I read that I know of. Oh, it's so great. You're such a wise teacher. Like you just have this intuition with people. And with emotions, it's so wise. Thank you. Um, well, I'm curious with the feeling wheel. Is that something that if, if people want to use that, um, is that a resource that's available? Yes. Um, I use, there are all sorts of different charts out there. The one I use is, it's called, if you Google the feeling wheel, by Dr. Gloria Wilcox, and that's two L's in Wilcox. Um, 
it's all over the internet. Okay, I will (laughs) link to that in the show notes so people can find it for themselves. Wonderful. And for children who can't read yet, there is um, feelings that correspond with facial expressions, cartoon facial expressions. So I have one side, I have the feeling wheel, and on the back side, I have the faces. So a child can access either and um and they chart this they chart this in their the practice journals and i i don't read them unless they give me permission to but uh, we do a lot of this kind of practice inside the lesson do you use that with all ages like with adults too feeling wheel yes yes i guess you're never too old to have feelings <laughs> i know <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And as artists, it's one of our biggest um, creative tools is if we can identify our feelings and we can not be not be uh, subjected to them, but we can use them to create and to move ourselves to a place of creativity. That is so powerful and essential for our careers, for our health, for our output. So (laughs) never too late to learn it's interesting because when I first started writing songs I was in I was right around um like freshman year of college or senior year of high school and I was using it as a way kind of like a personal form of therapy like anytime I had feelings about something uh I would I would sit down and write about it and it's interesting because I've noticed over time that healing sense of creativity um and i think a healthy way of channeling my emotions and working through them uh like as i've uh become a songwriter and a musician now that's my my title right Mm -hmm. and i occasionally get paid to write songs uh not as much as i'd like but it happens uh and it's very exciting but now that i see it as like my job i feel like when i when I have these feelings that come up, I tend to suppress them instead of just writing about it because I see like now my art as kind of like my job. So it's like on my to-do list more or yeah, it's just, it's, it's more, there's more pressure behind it. So like last night I was inspired actually by one of my students who was going through a lot and he's like, I just, every time I'm going through something, I write and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what I used to do. <laughs> so last uh, night I was just having feelings and instead of just trying to ignore them, I took out my guitar and immediately it was like an outpouring, you know. That's beautiful, and yes. I'm like, I'm wondering how we can stay in touch with that sense of, I guess, artistic freedom and using art as a way of healing when it's also connected to your livelihood, when it has become your job. yes that's a good question that's a very good question I think the power of play (laughs) if we can stay in a realm of play and curiosity then our creativity will never cross over into fear if we can always be curious about things whether there are feelings or any kind of challenge that pops up for us as artists and musicians um when those pressures of the artistic life close in and threaten to choke our creativity, 
if we can keep ourselves in the realm of play, something scary comes up and we, we get curious about it. Instead of try to run or ignore or um, talk ourselves out of it, I think that is ultimately how we can keep those, those gates open. Mm -hmm. And if we can keep the gates open, we'll never be without that creative output. It'll always be flowing. I love that so much. Um, do you do that in your own life? Because I'm sure that you have a busy like practice schedule for all the music that you have to learn for concerts and such. But do you ever just, just sit and play with your violin? Yes. I, I love to write. I love to just sit down and I just keep a, I think... I, I would call it a compositional sketchbook. I just write down some, occasionally I'll, I'll sit down and I'll just write melodies that are floating by. I, I have a connection to color where I see and I hear music with color and I see color with music. And so sometimes that, if I have the time, I sit down and I, I write and that can flow out of moods, but most often it flows out of colors. And that's really therapeutic for me. <laughs> I love it. And um, occasionally I'll write words, but I just mainly do it for myself. And that's, I share it sometimes with friends, but yeah, I think it's very important to, to be writing, whether it's a discipline or a reaction but I feel like as artists we have the luxury of of doing both we can play in the discipline world because it is our art and we can also play in the you know improv world or however you want to word it yeah but the, the key word there is we're playing we're always playing we're always creating <laughs> um you just you get started and discipline can be play play can be discipline so so do you uh do you tell your girls to play as well i'm guessing you don't have to tell them <laughs> <laughs> I, I, they, they they have access to <laughs> girls you need to play today everyone needs right. to play <laughs> yeah. yep they the piano is always open their violins are always available and they always have access to paint and stacks and stacks of paper and pencils so it's available for when they want to <laughs> so and they, and they do so it's fun it's interesting because I part-time I nanny a four-year-old and uh he has a lot of art supplies and things but he rarely ever wants to play with them so I'll often suggest hey why don't we color or you know play some music and and he, he just wants to play with dinosaurs all the time. That's all it is. <laughs> but I realize that there's creativity in everything he's doing because whenever we're playing anything, he's he's creating. He's creating stories. Um, it's all make-believe, right? Yes. So there is always that sense of imagination and freedom that I think is healthy for kids and humans <laughs> yes yes um, we're just we're just big kids <laughs> it's true so, 
I'm a big kid now. Hey. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) One thing that I love about talking with you is that you're so gentle and kind. It makes sense that you're two of your primary values are gentleness and kindness. Um, I know you take this approach with parenting and teaching, and I'm wondering if you feel like your ability to be kind to others comes from your ability to be kind to yourself, or do you find it more difficult to be kind to yourself than to others? Mm, That's a really good question. I think it's always a dialogue I'm having each day. I can choose to speak encouraging things to myself and truth to myself, or I can choose to be spoken to and internally. And usually when I'm spoken to, it is not the encouraging voices. So I, I do have to practice um, affirmation inside and gratitude inside and awareness of kindness around me either past, present, or what I can see coming <laughs> in the future. So I, I think that the kindness perhaps flows um, from surrounding myself with kind people. That's really important to me. And people who are gentle, people who have compassion, who have empathy, who have patience. And that encourages me to have kindness and empathy and patience. And uh, yeah, I, I think it was modeled well for me with my parents. And um, I haven't always experienced that in my life with my close relationships. And so to be, to maybe know both, <laughs> to know what it's like to have kindness and then to to experience unkindness and then to really choose kindness mm. <laughs> is is probably more more aligned with my journey in how i choose to live and react and teach and parent is it's probably that's probably more aligned with my journey um having experienced both and then choosing Do you have any, like, tools that you use if you find yourself being really unkind to yourself? Yes. Um, Practicing gratitude is huge for me. Um, Do you, like, journal gratitude, or do you just kind of, on the spot, like, think of things you're grateful for? I just, on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) So, on the spot, I um, pray. So I, I utilize um, prayer and gratitude and reminding myself um, of positive things, <laughs> of not, n- not reminding myself of shortcomings, and also reminding myself that I am on a journey in this, in this um, relationship with achievement. It is, it's not about performing, it's about process. And so I always talk to my students about a learning curve. And so often I will remind myself, this is new. I'm still learning. (laughs) I can afford myself a learning curve. Um, 
I can make mistakes because with those mistakes I can learn and I can hopefully not make them again. <laughs> mm. So yeah, I think, I think being aware that uh, life isn't um, snapshots, it's, it's continually rolling. It's a, it's a camera that's always rolling. It's not, we're not ever frozen in time. So that's helped me be kind to myself. Um, and, and like I said, surrounding, surrounding myself with people who are kind and speak gently to me, it, challenging, yes, but never, never unkind. And so that's, that's important. And I think perhaps then that flows, flows out. So I'm thinking about how we can be kinder and gentler as teachers and parents and also to ourselves. Yes. And I love this idea of surrounding ourselves with with really kind people. Um, it's sometimes though it's hard to do if we look around and there's a lot of unkindness. Even mm-hmm. if it sometimes takes the form of not directly people who are mean, but people who have a sense of maybe entitlement or they're constantly complaining, um, which I catch myself doing. That was my big thing for 2020. I was like, I'm going to completely stop complaining. It has not Mm. happened yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm working on it. (laughs) If anyone has advice, I'm open. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just, I'm wondering how we can... um, not just surround ourselves with kind people, but I guess what signs to look for and also how to how to end relationships with people who are maybe toxic. Yes, yes. I think giving us giving ourselves permission to pause and really tap into our intuition and ask us ask ourselves how we're feeling and what what is this producing in us? And then, and then making decisions um, that have really had some time to think and some time to breathe. That's that's helped me. Is it, whether I'm working with somebody who perhaps is not in the right season to learn what um, what I would like to teach them or what they want to learn even. Um, pausing and giving them space to either express themselves or for me to really tap into how is this how is this uh, affecting me professionally or personally and then um, being okay with seasons some seasons you know seasons come and go <laughs> right and so, so if 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 there is a a client or a student that is just not a good fit for their season or for your season, it's okay to bless and release. <laughs> and um, again, we do not need to stay and persevere in something that's not aligned with uh, challenge or with growth. Um, if it is tearing us down or tearing them down, the loving and healthy thing to do would be bless and release. And so that, that of course is complicated and takes a lot of help and a lot of time, a lot of 
uh, inward looking and outward looking and conversations. But I think as a, as a teacher, a professional, also on a personal level, that's a little bit of what I, I do. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. And I think that bless and release is so beautiful and knowing mm-hmm. that we don't have to try to kind of manage or fix or do or um, greet every single thing that kind of comes into our lives. I think it's sometimes how we feel stuck. It's like the sense of overwhelm. Yes. Like I feel that when I feel like every opportunity that comes my way or every person that asks me for something it's that ability to say no but not just no but making that conscious choice of you know I don't have to engage with all the because it it is chaos sometimes that that feels like we're constantly bombarded with but we can choose to have peace if we can bless and release those things or people or relationships or jobs opportunities that are it's not the right season. It's not the right time. It's not meeting us at where we need to be right now. Yes. Yes. There's such freedom in that and such growth, but it is, it's a process. I, I it's a process I'm learning. Um, I don't have it all figured out for sure, but <laughs> let but, me know when you do, that'll be yeah. the next episode. <laughs> when you've perfectly figured that out yeah yes (laughs) I think that's the part of the human experience yes Um, it's and it's I don't know if it's more built into us as women too to like try to make everybody happy but I I'm always doing that and then I'm being like Mm. Rochelle what are you doing stop it (laughs) you need to make yourself happy because you're miserable by trying to make all these other people happy yes no that's mm -hmm. yep pausing and really looking inside and asking what do I need (laughs) what what can I do what can I release what can I hold and really being honest with that and um and loving through it so saying no in a in a way that you know affirms people or blesses them um you know it's just I don't know it's been a, it's been something I've been learning this last year, maybe two, and I've gotten a lot of help in how to do that and how to how to know uh, how to discern and then how to how to make those calls. But it's something that has really, really helped my quality of life and my professional life. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. Um... So I'm wondering how you balance your work of teaching, performing, personal practice um, with being a parent and spending quality time with your kids. Yes, that is also something I've been growing in. I I finished a very intense degree this past May in 2019. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It was a three-year uh journey through a doctorate of musical arts and as a single mom and a performing artist and uh that was very challenging um it was not sustainable long term let's put it that way 
so at the end <laughs> so at the end of that degree i asked myself um what do i want in all the areas of life and i walked through the areas of of my life with with help i this is not very rarely do I do anything by myself. I, I'm always enlisting the help of books or courses or uh, my business coach or, you know, just many, many different wise people around me. But I did the work of figuring out what I wanted. And one of those things was with work and with family. And I realized I wanted my weekends free and I wanted my evenings free. <laughs> and so... How do I do that as a private music teacher? That's when you teach typically. Um, but I realized that if I knew what I wanted and if those wants were related to values um, and beliefs, I could, as an artist, but just as a human, I could create what I wanted, what I needed for my family and so that is how my business was born. Um, oh, that's beautiful. And I, and I work, you know, normal business hours and I have lunch breaks and I'm done at dinner time and I can pick up my girls. I wanted to work from home to be available to them, but also I just find my home the most peaceful place. So I, I just established this is what I want and here are my, here are my tools and I'm going to, I'm going to create that. Now I've, I've had help in creating it and, but it's, it's been, I think that's, that's what um, has really helped me find this balance is just really knowing what I want, creating what I want. And then, uh, you know, having the boundaries around that. So if a, a family asks, well, we really want to take from you, but we can only do Saturdays. I'll explain with, hopefully empathy I can see why I understand um the week is busy I this is why I teach during the weekdays and you know you don't have to explain that to people but often I will and then I'll say um so I invite you <laughs> to join me if you would like but if it's not a good fit for your season that's okay and sometimes they decide oh Nope. What, what we want, we can, we can work with your schedule or they say, no, we'll need to find somebody on the weekends and that's okay. So the people that I am working with, um, and I have a full studio, it's wonderful. They are clients that are aligned with my, uh, what I can offer. I am not, and I'm hopefully serving them to my highest ability because my boundaries are hopefully healthy. I'm able to take care of myself and my girls and rest and then work hard ultimately for their, for their benefit. <laughs> you know, I can serve them better when I am serving myself well as well. This is, this is okay. Really nuts to me because you got your doctorate, you built a business, you're a single mom, Yes. And you take time for yourself. I don't understand <laughs> how you're doing this. <laughs> Is, oh. Are you a wizard? <laughs> <Yeah>. No. <laughs> no, no. I, like I said, I have 
a, a wonderful support system here in Minneapolis. I am so grateful. Um, but I do believe in the power of creativity. And if you can play, <laughs> even in life, um, you can create. And where you can create, you can live and flourish. And so I feel like we as artists, we have that, we have that superpower <laughs> already built in. And um, so we have the potential of really having, having a lot of, a lot of joy in life. Uh, you know, no matter what gets thrown at us and hard things come for sure. And um, I've known that and, but you, you can still choose to, to play, choose to create. <laughs> you can create your way, create your way forward. <laughs> and it's so great too, because if what you want doesn't exist, that, that can discourage people, but it doesn't have to. If, right. if it doesn't exist, then, then make it exist. Make you it happen. Have, yes. <laughs> what I do did not exist. <laughs> so a violin technique coach, that it's it wasn't out there and so but um I looked at my tools I looked at what I was gifted in and what I was good at and I said I think I can create something with this and then you hire and you get the support you need in order to achieve that and and you build and you build and you build so is a violin technique coach where you coach teachers on violin technique yes. I do sometimes, but I can also train them in how to teach it as well. And then I, I can also work with students who are um, experiencing deficiencies, maybe because they've lacked technical training in their past, and I can get them caught up. Um, I can also work with young ones who want to learn this way from the beginning. And then I also work with parents on how they can coach their own children. So it's really... Um, and I work with university students as well. So it's, it can serve limitlessly, <laughs> I think. That's, oh, that's one. And so the, re the reason that you can work during the day, that's because you have clients around the world? Yes, yes. And I work with clients who um, maybe they instruct their children at home so I can work with them during school hours. But yes, um, I have a student in Africa and even one in Europe, and then that's slowly expanding. So, um, but yes, all, all, all the time zones here in the US as well, so. That's so exciting. I'm so incredibly happy for you, and I'm so grateful that you were willing to share your precious time on a Saturday morning with me. Oh, oh thank you. This has been just so beautiful and wonderful. So thank you for, for this invitation. I'm wondering if, just to close, um, what is one piece of advice you'd like to share? Oh, that's good. Um, I think always be curious. Just always be curious. And where curiosity is, uh, it, I, I think curiosity chases fear away. And so if something seems scary, just be curious about it and, and playful. And um, if something seems exciting, be curious about it and playful. And through that, creativity will 
will abound and where creativity is there are always solutions <laughs> so there's there's always a way there's i believe there's just infinite possibility in a path forward and i i've i've found to be curious is to is to live so i that would be my piece of advice is foster your creativity feed your creativity and I think that connects to our child, you know, the child within us. Remember her and, um, you know, honor her and, yeah, be curious. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. You can't see it, but I'm just, I'm beaming right now. It's so oh. good. <laughs> oh, just... thank you for all of your wisdom, for your kindness, for your just generosity and sharing with us today. It's mm -hmm. been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. I feel so grateful for today's interview. I hope this episode provided some new insights and inspiration for everyone listening. I know I learned a lot. If you're interested in learning more about Stephanie's approach to teaching or violin technique, you can email her at stephanie@violintc.com. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. If you have a friend you could share it with, that would be amazing. Also, hosting a podcast is a lot of work, and if you'd like to support the show financially, you can do so for as little as $5 a month. 10% of all donations go to World Food Program, which supports the well-being of people in poverty around the world, with a zero hunger goal by 2030. Fun fact, it only costs 50 cents to offer a day's worth of meals. Another way you can support my livelihood is by contributing to the Kickstarter for my EP. It's for my first solo record, and it's five songs about my journey of moving from denial to acceptance about trauma I experienced as a kid. It's all about taking my power back, and that's kind of what this podcast is about, too. Every dollar and every share helps so much in reaching the Kickstarter goal by March 1st. And I'll link to all of that in the show notes. All right. I love you, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome rest of your day. Go hug someone, go take some time for yourself, go start a new project, just do something that feels good for you today. And I'll see you back here for next week's episode. Until then, be well, fail big, and go wreck your perfection. <laughs>